Secret Texan Podcast. So everyone, stream in if you have any questions to start. This is going to be the part two of the James Casbolt Project Ibis. We're currently recording the last of the musical intermissions and everything for the podcast itself. So everyone just got to feel free to relax, kick in, go grab your snack, uh, drink whatever you, you need. Uh, it's going to be kind of, it's going to be a new two hour, uh, another talk, hopefully, uh, maybe even covering two parts in one, one episode because, you know, we'll, we'll get into it once the music is. everybody out there in dreamland namaste and shalom iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend thank you all very much for tuning in to the beyond top secret texan podcast i am your host beyond top secret texan coming to you from the third coast the coast with the most and bringing to you the best ufology cryptozoology paranormology supernaturalology and all things occult, Gnostic, Theosophic, Esoteric, and absolutely true. Because to call ourselves a conspiracy podcast is ill-fitting because we, in the Beyond Top Secret Texan fan community, you guys out there, the greatest audience in Dreamland, know that what I talk about aren't conspiracy theories for the sake of for them to be conspiracy theories. I speak about the most unique, but the most true, and they're obscure because of their truth and their honesty, and their incredible, uh, profound, earth-shattering implications and the revelations on this program are second to none. So, we are amongst elite and rarefied company, every single one of you, and thank you all very much for, you know, for choosing to support me, because I know 
your time is precious. I know your attention is precious. And truly, that is what motivates me. That's what really supports me. Is the fact that you guys, you know, are listening to this program. You guys are actually tuning in. You guys are actually, you know, choosing to, you know, watch me both on the live stream and, you know, listen to me on the podcast. Uh, support me on Patreon and click the link and then watch the, the, the program later on in the future. So, you know, from this is a time capsule to you in the future watching this. Um, thank you very much for your support. You truly are the greatest audience out there in Dreamland. That being said, let's get into, you know, introductions being put, being put uh, aside. We are in the midst of speaking about James Casbolt's Project Ibis experiences and his testimony about his life. It is a 10-year-old, if not older than 10 years, uh, absolutely older than 10 years. The math is pretty certain about that, actually. It's absolute. <laughs> well, absolutely a fact that it's older than 10 years. All right, at this point, the information that we're reading, it has fallen into the realms of obscurity in that decade. It is one of the greatest testimonies to the secret space program, to the survival from these black project programs. First-hand recollections and connections with everything from the deep underground military bases, extraterrestrial alliances with the human race and with the Earth. Um extraterrestrial and human hybrid breeding programs, human cloning, age regression, time travel, the rise of an evil AI, as well as, you know, first-hand accounts on the operations of the Dark Fleet and their connection with things like the current American military, industrial, and political elite. And, um... It is the testimony of the life and times of one James Casbolt, a.k.a. Michael Prince. It is probably one of the most important written records that currently exist. When trying to understand uh, in the in the libraries of the secret space program, and when one is trying to understand a concept like the secret space program, one has to read James Casbolt's Project Ibis: The Life and Times of Michael Prince. It is fundamental. It is essential prerequisite reading. The same thing as if you were going to read Greek philosophy and you would have to read Socrates. It is absolutely a pillar. Fundamental. Because it gives you the first-hand modern... Um, it, it's the missing link, basically, between the foundations 
and the conditions that would set up for the secret space program and the actual physical existence, the first-hand view of it. The same as when you read a history book, say, about the Civil War, and then the letters and a personal biography of someone who had served in it, giving you that missing link, like, uh, say, uh, the Civil War and then the Red Badge of Courage. And if you were to consider yourself a Civil War scholar, or uh, to know history, even American history, you'd have to read the Red Badge of Courage. It is essential. It is absolutely essential. Uh, to understanding um, everything from the lore to the mythology that the people who follow in their footsteps. Uh, the, the last 10 years of ufology, exopolitics, um, and, and first-hand survivor testimony has existed in the shadow of James Casbolt in many ways, including the existence of Max Spears, who is, I would arguably say, known as the reputation of being the best and and realist, you know, most dangerous, quote-unquote, ufologist or researcher or alternative truth-teller, especially... SSP survivor and um, and eyewitness whistleblower type thing. Given that Mike Max Spears was killed famously, and that is worldwide news. His entire life is actually worldwide news. James Casbolt is much more obscure. But James Casbolt came about the same time and even has very negative things to say about Max Spears, which are inarguable. And it's a very divisive situation. Although, yes, you can listen to them both because that's human nature. But there is no denying that James Casbolt, even though while working with Max Spears for many years, has many negative things to say about him and Sarah Rachel Adams. So, now, let's get into the Project Iba. See that with that introduction again. The previous episode was the first part, reading the up until part one, and this is going to begin at the second part, the beginning of the second part, and we're going to hopefully complete two full parts. But I'm going to quickly look ahead. and see if I can probably squeeze into maybe even three parts in the two hours that I have given myself.
but we'll do it more with the two-hour time limit because if it's three parts, that will complete the the saga. That will complete the testimony. And if I can do three parts in two hours, then it'll just be the first of two parts, or the second of two parts. If not, this will be the first in the series. But yeah, looks like I'll do my best, as I always do. It's going to be a wild ride. Now, trigger warning, I guess, uh, full disclosure, this is involving um, chi uh, children. This is involving um, some pretty extreme and heavy subject matter and maybe you know absolutely traumatic to people listening to it um, you know like full full discretion advised all right now I I encourage the chat and conversation or the chat conversation to be polite but to be well moderated I hope um, you know to be looking through it and everything so if you have any questions um, you know clearly clearly put a question mark at everything so I know you're asking one and um, keep the conversation civil keep it polite you can you know freedom of speech say whatever the fuck you want but just do not start a flame war and keep it on the subject matter. You know, I know you guys are having your own little, um, little social club and everything in there, but um, keep it relevant to to the episode. I see you guys are talking about war and Ukraine and Turkey and all that stuff. There's a place and time for that shit. I know you guys like to talk about. Um, you like to talk about what's relevant to you and what's stressing you out, but that's not the subject matter of tonight's discussion. If you guys want to start a Discord and invite all of you, you know, yourselves together, then feel free. But, you know, this is my live stream, so keep it relevant to the subject matter at hand and the Beyond Top Secret Texan uh, discussion. <coughs> okay, for everyone... Uh, listening at home and everything we're going to begin. Life and Times of Michael Prince, Part 2, by James Michael Casbolt. <laughs> October 31st, Halloween, 1984, Yucatan, Knights of Samael. I am led into an underground chamber in the temple. I am told beforehand this event will be apocalyptic and these types of rituals will decide the fate of the world in many ways. Rituals to bring about the end of the world, the old order being replaced. The structure of the large chamber is a pyramid shape. An altar is in the middle of the room with two pillars on each side of the altar. Flames burn on top of each altar. Four men in dark robes stand in each corner of a geometrically shape in the floor. A circle with something in the middle. I am taken and stood in the middle of the circle. I am directly underneath the point of the pyramid above us. They start to chance and I can feel an entity being drawn down into the pyramid into my body. 
I try to fight it, but the chanting grows louder, and I can't fight it. This night is a test. The test involves ascertaining whether the multidimensional entity being brought down into the temple can be controlled. As I stand in the middle of the circle, the chanting from the people in robes grows louder, and I feel myself being forced out of my body. The next thing I am aware of is looking down on my body from the air over 15 feet above my body. I see my body start to contort and spasm as it physically grows taller and bigger and X or censored out. I start to freak out about my identity when this happens. I know I'm me and I'm here in the air and this thing is down there. We are two separate life forms. I relax and I calm down when I realize this. I also realize something else now. I seem to be able to control this thing down below, like a puppet under remote control. I can make him walk forward towards the guy in the robe near the left-hand side of the room. I make the entity walk backwards, and then I make him sit down. The entity inside the body wants to work with me, and he is under some kind of strict rules now that he has come to this place in a disembodied state. He is compelled to come here, and is compelled to follow my commands. The whole power thing comes to mind that Dr. Green taught me. I start to think of all the things I could do with this body. Three blonde women are brought into the chamber by black clad men with dark plastic face masks on. Same type worn by security who guarded us in the Canadian facility. The women are brought to a front of the altar and put down on their knees. A psionic struggle between myself and the creatures now commences in my body as the creature tries to pull forward to attack the women. Four men in robes join in with the psionic struggle with chanting and arm waving. I manage to take control of my body during this process and come back into my body, which then goes back to normal. Myself and the women are then taken up to the stairs to the left of the chamber by the security guards. I am exhausted. Put in a jeep and driven to a helicopter, next memory is some kind of airport in a room with Germans, Americans, and British men. Papers are signed regarding my transportation back to the UK. Instead of having two weeks... Oh, sorry about that. It's a scientific note. And that's all it says. A lot of vocals on the eclectic electronica tonight. Which is the background set. This is why it's all recording and everything. So we'll look at, into an alternative. And in cases like that, I like to go with... Trance. Hopefully one second. There you go. We have now a background record. Oh, block out ambient sounds. In a second too soon. Alright, now we're using that little break. Check out the chat. chapter UK United Kingdom Brighton 1984 MK whisper initiate How, instead of having my experiences in Canada Malaysia South America and Mexico presented to the world's media I come back to the United Kingdom with memories erased of ever being in those countries now I am back in the United Kingdom I spend time at a flat at the end of 4th Avenue May have been on 5th Avenue, not 100% sure, in Brighton. 
This is my godmother's flats, a woman named Jean Greer. Across the road on the corner is some of the MI6 processing center. This is a house on the corner full of operatives and offices with people sitting in front of computers and walking around with paperwork. Jean, myself, and my mother are regularly taken from our flat across the street into this place. MI6 clown programming takes place here. The man who sometimes comes and gets us sits in front of me in a room in this place one afternoon around this time. Hard to get a clear look at his face and clothes. He says to me, Do you know why you are here? Just as he finishes these words, his skin turns white like he is having a heart attack. I start to feel sick. He takes on the aspects of the vampires from the temple in the Yucatan. I think I start to turn white as well. When I see his face like this, it all comes back. I'm here because of the end times programming. An important aspect of what I was taught in the countries focusing on end times. This is the opening of a stargate over Temple Mount in Jerusalem and letting in various extraterrestrial starships which will be aired on television. This is planned to happen soon. I am then escorted out of the building and put into a white car which waits on the corner of the avenue close to the seafront. I am taken to a torture center which is probably located in London. This is a three-level house with a concrete patio at the back. The torture includes killing puppies, eating flesh and excrement, blades stuck up on the left side of my groin, vomit, sexual abuse to cause bulimia, to not be able to take part in normal sexual relationships with normal women, but to only have sexual partners who are handlers put me with the MI7 zygote breeding programs. Some kind of Stargate time displacement machine was situated below this chamber in the Yucatan. The chamber was most likely designed to control the resultant energy from the machine below and contain it. Something to do with manipulating a unified field. Unified field theory equation and bend space and time and alters reality. Exposure in the chamber to energy generated by time displacement machine below would cause the human body to become fused, interwoven with the electromagnetic fields in chamber. This could cause bodies to disappear, shapeshift, etc., hence multidimensional entities that jumped into my body in 1984 may have come up from underneath rather than pulled down from above. Interestingly enough, groups that utilize the light gate hardware do not fully understand how it works. There may actually be various consciousnesses trapped within the machine work. These entities may believe that the only way for them to survive and live again is through more machinery. 1985, Brighton, United Kingdom. Jean starts to receive phone calls from an anonymous man, heavy breathing and making sexual comments. He says he is watching her and often describes the clothes she is wearing. This goes on for months with this man ringing several times a day. Jean is so disassociated she doesn't realize this is coming from across the street and she has been in this house herself. 
She changes the number, but still he rings. The programming takes its toll on her, and she stops going out and sends me up to the shop at the top of the street every day for a bottle of vodka. She tells me this for dinner guests, and I don't realize she is drinking it herself. Eventually, she drinks herself to death. I visit her in hospital just before she dies of liver failure. She has not even given morphine as she was dying. We really loved each other, and I still miss her. Dad goes the same way years later. He drinks and drugs himself to death from the programming and dies in Doncaster Prison in 2003 from liver failure while serving six months for possession of false passports. Dad was not even allowed home while he was dying and the foul play is suspected. The good die young. I have recently discovered there may be more to this. Sussex, 1985 the working group decided they have been enough during the counterintelligence or counter surveillance ops and decided to move in for a rescue attempt. A plan is put together that involves sending me to a camp for a week in Sussex. The extraction will take place here. Jean and her Irish husband Wilf pay for the camp and I arrive with my bags in 1985. Children from all over the world are here and many activities are included in the course. I'm sailing, canoeing, scuba diving, etc. We are divided into teams and we all share boy and girl dorms in the building. The center is next to the sea in the area and no one in the family can remember the name of the place. A helicopter landing pad is situated in the back of the building near the sea. The place is a lot of fun, especially being taken to a huge swimming pool for training by soldiers. A friend in the SAS told me about seeing my name listed on Navy SEAL training files. This may have been a SEAL Buds course at the swimming pool. The children at the center go through a trial day, which makes they are taken away from the center early in the morning and picked up at the dorm, and come back a couple of days later with tales of scuba diving and canoeing adventures. Some are packed by helicopter on the landing pad and taken away by air. My turn comes from the trial day, and I am excited and nervous the night before. I took to one of my friends for about turning the left-hand corner of the room where we sleep and we eat sweets. I am picked up inside the dorm and next morning with my gear and taken to the helicopter pad. A bird lands and a man in the military uniform gets off and helps me on board. When we are in the air, he says to me, I've heard you are a very gifted young boy. We talked for a while until we approach a huge aircraft carrier type ship out at sea. We land and I am taken through a central building on the ship down inside. We walk through hallways with many people walking around. The ship is massive. We walk down a long hallway into a control center. A man dressed in a white naval uniform greets us. This is John from Malaysia. He is. I am very happy to see him. Information is discussed between two men that I can't quite remember. I am taken to a medical room for injections and health checks and then taken to a little cozy room with a bed into which to rest. I look out the window at the ocean and I feel I am home again. After a while, I am taken from the room onto the deck of the ship. I am loaded onto a fighter jet plane with two seats, and we take off. Central America, 1985. We eventually land at an army base in the jungle. This is situated near a river. I am taken into the facility to a place with other children, and I see one of my brothers there. A female handler, or female majestic handler, is with him from Malaysia and Berkshire, the one who rescued me from the Berkshire facility and took me to the choir freeze in 1981. A crossover event now happens and I presume he will be taken back to the UK while I will stay in Central America. 
much excitement. A commotion is going here at the base. Some kind of new reptile species that has not been encountered before is active in the jungle. The plan is to capture one for hardware gathering. I am to help a special forces unit track one of these creatures. What occurs will eventually make me one of the most distinguished soldiers in the American and British Black Ops Special Ops community when I get older. I end up going into the jungle with a four-man unit on a roasting hot afternoon just after this. I am older now and wear camo gear, boots, face paint, and flak jacket. I lead the team deeper and deeper into the jungle. I have picked up a trail and I am in some kind of state of natural bliss. I turn into the some kind of... Oh, I turned into the trees, smells, and sounds... The whole jungle seems alive to me and moving with energy. I am joined telepathically to the reptile creature as the unit moves deeper into the jungle. I like the energy I feel from the creature. He is not evil. He has come to learn about humans. There are several of the creatures in the area. They have come here in a medium-sized craft, which is hidden below ground in the jungle. I know that if we catch this entity, he will be locked up. I have spent time in captivity and cannot bear the thought of this happening to this creature. The men I am with this have done this many times in all kinds of terrain, and I don't hold any hopes for this creature escaping us. I decide to say, make myself sick, so the op will have to be cancelled. I decide to give myself psychosomatic symptoms of a fever. This gradually gets worse until I am being carried through the jungle. Eventually, it is decided to take me back to the camp near the river. I end up being back there, and we start to get better. It is then that something very unexpected happens. A communication is received at the base from this ET group and a meeting is scheduled. They plan to arrive in their craft at night and land in the base. Apparently these reptiles have been so impressed by the grace of the young soldiers coming into the jungle that they would like to meet face to face with military personnel here. 1985 Central America Two reptilian lifeforms, tall, wearing some kind of robes, walk down a ramp from a circular-shaped craft. They are met by military officers from the base with me in the background. Small, gray-type beings wheel carts of hardware down the ramp, and these are taken to a small building to the left of the camp by military personnel. Note, treaties are occurring all the time, but every ten years or so, the main ones happen. This is because technology is given to the human government in stages, as levels of extraterrestrial hardware are mastered by humans so the next level is handed down. It took until 1988 to master the technology handed over in this treaty and many of the tests were done in Berkshire at this time. Once the hardware is all set up in this building children and adults are taken in for testing. I am one of the children and this equipment is able to manipulate time, space and DNA in a more advanced way than ever before. This, in the beginning of the follow white right cloning and super soldier program. So, sorry, fallow right. Let's make sure that's correctly pronounced. Fallow right, F A L L O W, fallow, and then right, as in the correct or the direction right. Cloning and super soldier program. Much of the hardware centers around over-self technology. This hardware is somehow able to divide one being into more than one cloned body for a limited period of time to enable them to be in more than one place at a time. 
This causes time-space paradoxes that must be closely monitored and corrected with advanced quantum computers. Again, this technology can only be used up to the age of 30 in a subject, existing in more than one timeline in one dimension after this age can cause serious problems. As mentioned before, all memories must be combined into one timeline in the individual for them to operate as a whole being. The over-self hardware in this building is set of several metal rings that float in the air. The person stands in the middle of the rings and the rings are activated. The individual then comes out in three or more separate areas of the facility at the same time. Now there are three physical versions of the person who go about their business. The Overself and the multiple monitors, all of them now. The Overself exists beyond time and space and can do this without going insane. The multiple species or the multiples cannot see, communicate, or touch each other while in separate bodies. This would be very dangerous. When the designated time is up, the cloned bodies go into a coma as the original body pulls back the separate selves into one body. There have been problems in the past when the cloned bodies have taken on a life of their own and tried to pull the electromagnetic fields of the original, bo- uh, the original over-self into their body at the end of the time limit instead of the other way around. This causes the risk of rips in the fabric of time and space itself. Scientific note, the over-self multiples are completely different from cloned brothers or sisters who are separate beings with separate overselves. The 1985 Central American Treaty was another massive double cross. While the overself hardware saved countless lives in Black Ops, it opened us up for a Trojan horse. Namely, dying entities from various extraterrestrial races downloaded themselves into the cloned overself bodies just before the time expired. Hence, the clones didn't shut down and took off of, and took a life of its own. Now we'll have one of these beings in a custody telling everyone he is Michael Prince and convinced this is the case. There is only one Michael Prince, and that is me. As usual, simply can't come up behind the entity's time track, delete my memories from his fields, thereby pulling up his authentic time track, and everyone will know exactly who and what he is, including the entity itself. I hope this helps to clear up the confusion regarding the recent events. The recent events that are being talked about are Michael Prince's slash James Casbolt's incarceration in England. Um, in 2000... In some date in 2000, um, in the teens, I want to say 2014, 2015, James Casbolt was arrested by British authorities uh, when he returned to Britain uh, to to uh, for a custody lawsuit 
because he had been making death threats to his wife, or his ex-wife, who was a Rothschild uh, descendant and heiress, and he was in prison for various things like that. But he was actually in prison. But he stayed true to the story. He never wavered. He never uh, buckled, and he never recanted anything. In fact, he doubled down and made his testimony even more pro, uh, public before he was eventually incarcerated. And I believe he's still serving a sentence or is, or is, or is uh, already released. Let's read the comments and see what's going on here. civil. As long as everyone's keeping it civil. The 1985 Central American Treaty was another massive double cross. Alright, so we already read that. 1986 Reading United Kingdom. The Fowler Wright Reading United Kingdom Progressive Initiation 1986 Clavius. Observation slash report functional enabled observational functional fail. The over self cloning technology from the Central American Treaty is remastered, and I travel back to the UK. I move to Recreation Road in Tylehurst, reading with Kate Casbolt and her new boyfriend Neil Petit. The Fowler Wright program begins immediately at military bases in Berkshire, London, and other places. Every week or so, I am woken up at night with people in my bedroom wearing Halloween-type masks. Two men usually come into the bedroom, and I am always wearing a... Or one is always wearing a werewolf rubber mask. I am taken by these two men to a car waiting outside the house. The two men sit on the front, and I sit in the back with a woman. She often asks me what I remember about the jungle as we drive through the night. The night training sessions at these bases start with me being taken to some kind of aircraft hangar with these people. A large black aircraft is situated there, shaped a bit like a pear. A ladder leads from the ground to the front of the nose of the aircraft. I am led up the ladder by one of these men and told to climb into the cockpit. This is a very small, with room for only one person. It is a bed which you lie down on your front and slide into the tunnel. This is a small area with lights and screens in front and the plane controls that are in front of you. There is some kind of DNA interface with the flight system which you communicate telepathically with. The flight systems is a computerized female voice which I am communicating with through a special helmet I am wearing. These training ops are flight simulation tests. I don't actually fly anywhere, not yet. Earth terrain tests are run mountain regions jungles, etc. Also, space region tests are run. Much of the centers around asteroid-based combat. 1986, Cambridgeshire, United Kingdom. The flight test most likely takes place in the U.S. Air Force Base named RAF Alkenberry in Cambridgeshire at this time. 
I now live at the base and have my own bunk bed on the left side of a small room which I share with other children. I prefer leaving, living here than on Recreation Road. The aircraft hangar is on the first level underground and I locate at the left side of a runway which goes off diagonally to the right and to a grassy field. A large hatch opens to the left of the runway. The more secret aircraft take flight from the first level underground. Reaper Virus One morning, myself and other children are taken from our room by one of our handlers, a tall black American airman. We are driven through the facility to the set of uh, buildings on the right side of the runway in one of these golf cart type buggies. We are taken to a briefing room, sat in chairs, and shown photos of a projector. The photos are highly classified, but we are informed that this has been decided we are desensitized enough to view them. The first shows a dead black woman with injuries to her face. The workings of an engineered virus are explained to us, which reanimates dead tissue. The next photos show this woman reanimated and running around a jungle village in Africa, attacking people and biting them. The next photo shows mass carnage in the village with black soldiers or police. There is the whole village goes crazy, with most people being infected. The soldiers are spraying powerful hoses at people to keep them back and shooting some people dead. We are then told that we are infected with a stable variant of this virus and have been born with it. The virus has evolved inside of us over the years as we have physically died and been resuscitated several times over the years in a sub-program of IBIS known as OSIRIS. Our nerves have been deadened and our capacity for violence massively increased. A cure would mean losing our speed, strength, reflexes, and acquiring the feelings of humans. Fire God X451987 Africa After the bio-warfare briefing, we are prepped for travel away from the Air Force Base. A C-130 Hercules lands on the airstrip. Our group of children board with adult Special Forces personnel. We travel into an African jungle area and walk through the jungle with the adults. We hear a commotion up ahead and come up to a clearing as black men and women appear from the bush and run towards us screaming with what appear to be severe skin infections. But on closer examination... It's more than this. They are mowed down with automatic weapons fire from the adult special forces people we are with. The adults urgently usher us from the clearing into the entrance of a village. Sorry. The infected start to come out of the house, bushes, and other places and are gunned down. There are several of us children and we are formed in a circle linking hands. We breathe in deeply at the same time and get our breathing synced up. On the out-breaths, we begin to emit kind of a roaring noise. On our twelfth breath, we project electromagnetic energy from the center of the circle. This bounces off and reflects backwards to create a shock wave. When it hits the infected, sparks come out the front of their eyeballs as their eyeballs burst into flames. The rest of their bodies then spontaneously combust. This happens to hundreds of them at all at once.
1987 Clavius Moonbase. Weapon we used was a particle beam weapon utilizing nanotech and DNA and telepathically linked with a satellite. After the infected are neutralized, a biohazard team comes into the village to clear the bodies. Our group of children are then taken into the jeeps through the jungles to a small runway with a building on the right. A C-130 and a large truck are parked on the runway and we are taken into the truck by the hazmat people and put in showers where we are sprayed with chemicals and water. When this process is finished, we are taken to a cryo-freeze area in the truck and go through a similar process as the cryo-freeze in the Berkshire in 1981. Put in cryogenic chambers with amber-colored liquid this time. Time note. I cannot be sure how much time has elapsed between being put in a cryo-freeze and the next event, whether hours, days, weeks, or months. The following happened in 1987. FYI. As I previously mentioned, the mind continues to record everything in detail no matter how supposedly unconscious a person is. Our group of children are put onto a military cargo plane in our cryogenic chambers and transferred mid-air on board some kind of E.T. lightship manned by tall, gray, extra-biological entities. We are in a medium-sized room with low lighting, a quiet, humming noise can be heard as several of these EBEs man computer consoles. These EBEs have a treaty with the NSA and have an agreement to deliver us to the Clavius moon base after they perform certain studies on us. The craft docks as some kind of orbital platform in the outer atmosphere. The EBEs take us into a different room and use a triangle-shaped metal device attached to a small metal construction to thaw out the cryostasis into liquid. Other medical procedures now take place, but memories are hazy here. Metal headbands are then put on us for mind memory scans to learn more from us. These EBEs are living machines moving away from artificial intelligence towards natural survival. A crisis point occurs during the memory scan. This is because of our mind splits. The EBEs become confused as to where our power and peace of mind are based. The EBEs, their ship, and the computer on board form a symbiotic link. Their computations almost short-circuit from confusion over the following. The scanner keeps switching at an incredibly fast rate between the power laying within ourselves and the artificial fake god construct. The moment of crisis builds into a panic from the EBEs and the decision is made by a higher ranking member of the EBEs to self-destruct the whole orbital platform. We, the children, are able to stabilize the scan signal at the last moment by pulling our consciousnesses into a still zone inside ourselves where our powers are based. The EBEs quickly realize this and delete the artificial god construct which the computer picked up within our psyches. We are put back in cryostasis after this, and the craft leaves the orbital platform. 
After this, we arrive in a huge aircraft hangar at the Clavius moon base. We are wheeled out in our cryo tanks by small gray EBEs, out of the craft and down a ramp into the landing port. Rows of human guards in black shiny uniforms wait in lines. Human military officers wait in the upper balcony in the right side of the landing port. Around eight small circular ships are docked under the balcony. A military commander dressed in black approaches our line as an extremely tall reptilian entity disembarks from the craft, wearing some kind of armor. They speak to each other in German with the reptilian voice like a deep robotic growl. I can hear that what they say and understand their language. I used to speak German at the Plum Base in Brazil. The German officer addresses the reptilian with some kind of Sumerian-sounding name. I hear the EBE state the following. Transmission stabilized. Outcome successful. Proceeding to Alpha Centauri. We are then wheeled down a corridor to the right by the German soldiers into small rooms and taken out of the cryostasis. When I come out of the American Majestic program, the woman from the early 80s is in the room with the other Americans and German scientists. She asks me, do you know where you are? To which I reply, yes, I am seated in a trip seat type machine with the usual holographic screens in front. A tetragrammatic spinning shape is used on the screen to activate my DNA and my memories. I've been to the Clavius moon base before. This was during my transference between the Berkshire and the Malaysian base in 1981 when I was put in cryostasis. End of part two. Intense. It's intense. It's intense. Reading that. Because it makes me remember a lot of my own personal testimonies. Experiences. But even more so because it's just so incredibly detailed. And eventful. And that was exactly the history of the 80s, the secret space program in the 80s was the raising of entire generations of super soldiers and the early days of the pioneering of this program or the, the, the creating of the pioneer program to staff and off-world colonies with technologies and methods that have been proven that were already proven. So it was part of the program but the fact that this was the program is mind-blowing, even for me. Someone who has been through this and is seeking to remember my own place in it. As well as fully aware that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people still to wake up to their place in this as well.
absolutely incredible. This is the James Casbolt Project Ipis, the Eiffel Times, and Michael Prince, who he is. His testimony. That was the end of part two. When we jump back into the next hour, we'll be reading part three. Thank you all very much so far for your patience.
Alright, now we are back again with the James Casbolt testimony, The Life and Times of Michael Prince. This is part three. Part three. The Life and Times of Michael Prince, part three. T.S. R. Clavius, subject X4566-2. Assessment for covert tasking. One, unstable implant. Series Tetra has made X45662 unsuitable for liquidation. Covert Ops recommend X45662 be retained for observation and released into general population for fallow rights double-blind testing. Command Clavius, October 4th, 1988. File taken from the National Security Agency database. Command Clavius, Commander of Clavius Facility, National Security Agency Facility on Dark Side of the Moon. 1987-1988, Clavius Moon Base. I am sat in front of a computer on seat. Blonde, majestic woman in, fr in room with me. The computer communications to me with same digital female voice from the space battle simulations from RAF Alkenberry. I am shown moving geometrical shapes as huge amounts of data are downloaded into me in a short time. I am shown two planets, Tetranar and Tigata, with rings, defense craft, and forces around the planet. I am told we are a computerized race, ascended machine technology, and the digital voice talking to me as a living being who can inhabit physical bodies, the aim of our race is to exist perpetually on these higher dimensional planets and to others like them where war is non-existent. I am told that myself and others like me have been trapped in the defense rings protecting these planets and locked into repeating cycles of war. The defense rings are necessary, I am told, but the aim of these beings involved with these fellow or with these protective nets is to accomplish the following complete a set number of cycles of defense and then travel to the planet itself to exist there thereby letting the group under us take our place and learn from our experience. It turns out we have become addicted to war and are trapped within the rings. My future on Earth is then scanned. Two separate versions of my future are shown on the screen and two timelines switch back and forth extremely quickly and then settle in the second timeline. 1988 Clavius Moon Base. A series of military R&D tests now begin to ascertain whether, in typical addicted fashion, our generation can go down the route of peace but still be involved in small amounts of military campaigns, wars, and killings. Our groups of children are dressed in tight-fitting suits, more briefings take place, and then we are taken to sleeping quarters on the facility. I see strange bipedal metallic robots walking around the corridors as well as various EBE types walking with humans. The R&D tests start with some kind of carousel-based experiments where four of us are seated in a large pod, dome-shaped glass, or plastic enclosure. There are four seats in each of the corner and we are strapped in and the seats spun extremely fast. It is a kind of fun. The pod around us collects energy and data when this is done. Next, I enter a training area in a large room, and a small audience comes in and takes their seats. 
George Bush Sr. is in attendance. I am to participate in a bare-knuckled fight with another of the older boys from the second unit. One of my handlers at this time is a dark-haired man with a thin to medium build, approximately 5'11", uh, in height. Sometimes he wore uh, suits, a white shirt, and a tie. And other times he wore a dark special forces all-in-one type jumpsuit that I have seen many people wear over the years. He had an American accent. When the fight began, I hit the other boy with a right cross and he knocked him out onto the floor, then stomped on his head. At this point, the fight was stopped and I was greatly praised by this man. After this, a kitten was brought in as my reward and then events turned savage again. The handlers always went from being extremely kind to sadistic in order to confuse you. I was handed a knife and told to stab the kitten to death. I refused, and the commander screamed in my face and started slapping me. I still refused, and the beating became harder. I started to dissociate and went into a kind of stupor. Another man with an American accent in the audience yelled, Kill it yourself to the commander, to which he replied, Yes, sir, and then killed the kitten himself. That is all for the day. Calofia is mentioned one of the ships used by the tall Alderbrand Blondes, which I came into contact with at the Looking Glass facility in Malaysia. The next memory is of Calapia arriving in the landing bay. Myself and other children are taken to meet the same blonde Palladians as they disembark from the ship. We are all proceed to the room with trip seats and the female voice computer systems. I am now involved in a future timeline scan. The adults in the room wish to see if the outcome is different from the R&D test. Two possible futures now switch back and forth on the screen. The first sees me as a physically augmented blonde giant over six and a half feet tall. I am involved in various war scenarios on various planets where I appear to be a powerful crazed warrior taken over by artificial intelligence as others like me. Angles on the screen keep switching almost like remote viewing vectors. Shots of devastated planets are taken from outer orbit and the whole solar system seems devastated. And then whole galaxies. Everything is desolated and deathly quiet in these vectors. This scan keeps switching with me as a blonde giant again, but this time on the planet Tegeta, a lush green forest planet. I have a family there and live in peaceful in communion with nature. The scenes keep switching extremely fast. I do not know the outcome. Militant factions on the base conclude the second outcome as a fantasy and our people will never become peaceful. This sends them more deeply into war mentality. Other factions feel great hope. I am taken on board the Calofia. 1988 Reading, United Kingdom, Denfield Secondary School. The Creation of a Monster Events. I am not at a liberty to discuss what happened from the time I am put on the Calapia to the time I returned to the recreation road and reading suffice is to say. I am returned to the house at night and a crossover event happens with the clone already in place at the house. I start Denfold School just after this. My first day of school I see our whole year. They're in the math building and we are divided into groups to form classes. One of the boys in the classroom whispers to someone next to him as the teacher is speaking, at which the teacher flies into a shocking rage. Then stuns the whole classroom into silence. 
This is a taste of things to come, at which I honestly describe as a trauma-based conditioning center rather than a school. Later, our year goes on a camping trip to Jersey where this male teacher molests girls from our class in the woods and is forced to leave the school on our return. Our year is divided into separate classes, which we go into every morning. Within weeks, a small number of students in our year are singled out as having behavior problems. I am amongst these as the boys who are whispered to his friends the first day in school. We end up in a special class once a week on Fridays in a classroom near the main stairway. We take trips away from the school these days, which mostly include visits to the military bases in the area. RAF Wilford, RAF Alkenberry, and Brock's Barracks are among them. A new theme connected to the project starts here, namely the introduction and exposure to race-specific bio-warfare and chemical agents at these facilities. I am not certain how they work, but injection sprays and other means can cause hormones and pheromones to agitate black males in the school into aggression towards us. They are also causing females, black and white, to be extremely sexually attracted to us, as well as changing our behavior to be even more off the wall. The black boys are much more physically developed than us white boys, who have been taken to the bases. A mass campaign of intense bullying starts and we do not stand a chance. I am singled out as the most bullied boy in the school and end up getting my arm and nose broken. Continually robbed, almost beaten to death at a fairground as well as my neck almost broken. My behavior goes totally out of control with vandalism, shoplifting, sniffing glue, and my behavior towards females becomes warped. 1989, Reading, United Kingdom. Baby Bert. This is so horrendous, I am not sure if it's even worth talking about. But as the calm factions were helped by the three papers on artificial intelligence, there may be helped further by this. The human part of me is just starting to face the horror. The machine part of me can understand this at a different level. The next obvious step happens regarding the process above. Factions and the NSA attempt to weaponize the process above for military apps. The plan is for me to infiltrate the crime scene in Reading in London at my young age and assassinate black, African, Jamaican, etc. underworld crime figures. I start to become involved in ritualized military operations at these facilities utilizing looking glass technology and nanotechnology. The leader of the Bigfoot-type entity who came through the gate of the facility in Malaysia years ago is brought through the gates in a semi-solid bioplasmic state. He enters my body during these processes and the change occurs. Sometimes I can control the body, sometimes he does. Often young black boys and girls are brought into the chambers. At these times, he attempts to take control even more fiercely when he does, and then it's censored. But I'm assuming um, when he does, he kills and eats and, you know, rapes and shit, the, the black people. 1990, The Dollhouse. Berkshire. Psychologists begin to come into the Danefield School and some of the children and our uh, year are put into a special class on Fridays for behavioral problems. These Fridays often involve field trips into the Berkshire countryside and other places. One particular Friday, our class is taken on a minibus and we make a lift at the gates of the school and drive towards Pangbourne. Just past the town, the bus stops on a country road and several black vans pull up. 
We are taken out the bus and loaded into the vans through the sliding doors in the side. I sit on the back of the van loaded into with the equipment. A man and woman are in the back with me. As we drive, the man reaches over and gets me to touch a thin sliver of metal with a symbol on it. When I do, my memories of being in the countries mentioned before start to come back. We drive to what is most likely RAF Wolford and down a tunnel into an underground car park. The car park looks like the same one from the 1981, but is now even more deserted. The other children and I are taken into a genetics-type facility, and after drugs are administered, I am put in a dark room. I wait for a while, and a door slowly opens in front. A horrific man-made... or horrific non-human slowly creeps around the side of the door. This is one of the Bigfoot entities from my past. It stands in front of me while I am frozen in terror. It opens its muzzle, showing huge teeth dripping with saliva and begins to growl and roar. I am attacked with claws and it bites. My body is then put in some kind of cryo-freeze and my flesh regenerates. We, the group of children, then find ourselves in a room watching professionally made horror films with children themes such as Wombles and Cabbage Patch dolls. The films start off nicely with actors playing the parts of the Wombles on Wombledon ground and then they start taking children underground. The scenes then flick to horrific type of wombles attacking the children. Mirror entities and artificial intelligence. Each individual in these types of programs, IBIS, is assigned one mirror entity. Two, the first physical connection will occur during a portal connection. See Looking Glass Event 1982, Penang, Malaysia. 3. The mirror entity will continue to periodically torture the individual in various ways to allow easier fractioning of mind for crossover and over-self-cloning procedures. See looking glass events above. 4. The mirror entity will periodically take possession of the individual's body. 5. The cloning and possession process will continue into the individual's adult years until the situation is brought to a head. 6. And this time the individual and the mirror entity will engage in a final psionic battle which will culminate in one of them permanently dying. 7. If the individual is victorious, he or she will gain full control over his or her mind and the body as well as gaining the various abilities of the mirror entity permanently. 8. If the mirror entity is victorious, it will gain full control over the mind and the body of the individual permanently. 9. Artificial intelligence cannot assign another mirror entity to the individual once the mirror entity is deleted due to the genetic reasons. 10. If the process occurs, the mirror entity will infiltrate human society posing as the original human. The mirror entity will have full awareness of what it really is and will exist as a shape-shifting entity beyond the nat unnatural typing of things. 11. The AI system will attempt to abrogate, horrify, and traumatize the life forms of the planet targeted for extermination through this process. 12. Be advised, both the individuals and the mirror's entity consciousness are essentially trapped within the AI machine. If this were not so, the individual would and could not be born into such programs such as IBIS. Although now free of the AI agent's control after the mirror entity's deletion, the individual will remain in a compromised state due to the backup of nanotechnology. This situation will remain in effect until the AI system and connected backup systems are shut down physically. 1990, Reading, Berkshire, Danfold School. One of the Friday school trips takes us Brock Barracks Military Base on Oxford Road in Reading. 
Our group of children sit on the classroom area in front of the main gates here. A psychologist enters the room and identifies himself as coming from the Tavistock Institute in London. This classroom sessions include New World Order concepts that seem to revolve around Nazism, but that word is not mentioned nor swastika flags shown. I am in a front altar personality this day and do not remember my real past. The lessons are kind of basic, teaching us how groups of secret societies run the world and how they all run media groups, etc., and communicate to each other through the media and art. Various symbols are shown in code words. He says the population needs to be reduced and how the black race is being targeted for extermination. He tells us he is aware of the persecution of the older black boys at the school against us, and if the blacks are not wiped out, this problem will get worse. As many of the nastier fights at the school are as a result of children being exposed to various military chemical agents for behavior modification, it appears we are being conned. The end of the class sees us wearing headphones with brainwave tones being played to us. This helps me remember my buried abilities and we push pencils across the desk with our mind. This class session had many themes from our Rosicrucians in it. At the end, I am taken to the American military men to the back right-hand side of the base. An American officer identified himself from Delta Force sits me in front of the desk with, with paperwork on it and says you're going to be working for us when you are older and nothing can change that. I want to give you the option I never had. I suggest taking the voluntary surgery box at the bottom of the form. This way you'll be able to go home after missions. The box says something about brain surgery. Don't make the same mistake I did. You don't want to grow up on a military base. People are good, but don't cut yourself off from them. So I signed the paper and ticked the box. The okay, so that is part three. That is the end of it. Let's see. Good read part four, but I kind of want to save part four for its own thing. Inclusion of an episode. That was parts two and three of the James Casbolt Project Ibis. Life and Times Michael Prince an intense exposure of the activities the clandestine activities of the United States military industrial complex in connection with secret societies operating internationally with advanced technology given to us from extraterrestrial alliances with multiple species. And in return for that technology, human beings are put into cloning programs, they are brainwashed, they are turned into post-human, transhumanist, cybernetic, time-traveling, mind-controlled weapons of mass destruction 
in the thousands. And this takes place completely under the radar of normal, quote-unquote, society, which is just a cover for the hypnotized and mind-controlled surface population, the great majority of the people, which are treated no more than cattle, no more than than mere animals to these ascended masters, those who are aware, those who are elite of the echelon society of the intellectual educated class, as well as the military industrial class to be aware and to know this. And which is never addressed, never addressed in the UFO community, never addressed in the paranormal community, never addressed in the in the uh, conspiracy community these days because it is so radicalized. It is so radical. It is so unorthodox. It is so extreme and it is so exotic. But this information is a decade old and it needs us. It needs people like myself, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, who, through the platform, podcast, YouTube, TikTok, whatever I can, put Instagram, put James Casbolt's story, put the information of Project IBIS forward, put the information of the Secret Space Program forward, put the information of the Extraterrestrial Earth Alliances forward, and to put the information of the MK Ultra military industrial complex cloning programs and how they are converting the world into a militarized weaponized race to assume obligations and positions within extraterrestrial alliances with extraterrestrial powers. That is the secret space program. That is the SSP. That is the super soldier program. That is MKUltra. That is GATE. That is everything. That is Area 51. That is the bases on the moon. That is who shot JFK. That is Every who shot William Cooper, that is every single thing that's important with the UFO conspiracy paranormal occult world right now. All the mystery, all the miscommunication, all the enigma, all the confusion, all the questioning and looking for answers for UFO sightings, cryptid sightings deep state conspiracies, the purpose of secret societies, all of that is directly connected to the secret space program, the super soldier program, what we know as the SSP. It's an an intense, extremely horrific, dark side of reality. as fantastic as it truly is it is one of the most horrific things 
that could ever be really meditated on. If you are an astral viewer, if you are a remote viewer, if you out-of-body experience, psychically connect to, empathetically connect to, if you do any kind of clairvoyant or ESP-based vision acquisition, concentrate and set your, your mind to the truth of the SSP. And you will see that this is 100% correct, that this is what is unmistakable in your mind's eye. Unmistakable in your mind's eye. When you really think about what's going on in El Dulce, and you try to remote view to El Dulce, you try to remote view onto what's going on in the dark side of the moon, you try to uh, mind view on what's going on on Mars, on moons of Jupiter, asteroid belts, Saturn, for example, the occupation of Saturn's moons, what's going on even beyond that, beyond Pluto and things like that, what's going on around the sun and Venus. When you start putting your mind to that, that, that quest, that task of seeing this for yourself in the, from the etheric realm, and you're tapping into the Akashic Records, tapping into your own memories of it, it all starts to connect that there is an intergalactic war going on. And that intergalactic war is drawing Earth into it itself. It's drawing humanity into itself. And it's requiring humanity to do this to its own populations to increase its abilities to tap into a potential and to hyper-evolve its own children within hundreds of generations. Or what would take within hundreds of generations is now taken within ten generations of less than that in the last century. To create a superhuman race with psychic abilities, with ESP abilities, with the physical abilities that surpass the current age of man. To specifically engage in special operations warfare on this planet and off-world, defending humanity from extraterrestrial enemies, both on an imperial scale and on an individual scale. Protecting and, and defending ourselves from individual outlaws as well and trespassers as well as entire enemy species and needing the entire human species to be able to do that task. This is what I've been trying to explain with Solar Warden this is what I've been trying to explain with Dark Fleet. This is what I've been trying to explain with the Earth Alliance, with the um, ICC, with the discussions with the Orion Draco, and you know everything on my channel. And I wish to one day be able to write down what I went through as clearly as what James Casbolt has written down for us in the Project Ibis Life and Times of Michael Prince testimony 
which we are reading on the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. That was parts two and three. The previous live-streamed and live-recorded episode was parts one. And the next episode will be the final part, part four. I hope you guys tune in for that. Thank you all very much. For those who have listened to the very end of it, thank you very much. You guys got a lot of guts. You're the greatest audience out there in Dreamland. Thank you very much for your support. Those that have supported me, those that are supporting me on Patreon, those who supported me through membership through my podcast, greatly appreciate you guys. You keep me going. Literally, you keep me going. You're the lifeblood. You're the funding. You're the producers of this content. You give this content to the world through your contributions, through your generosity. Thank you very much. I am greatly appreciative to every single one of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you very, very much. You listen to Beyond Top Secret Texan. Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. Peace out.
Oh, <laughs> 